Hello, and welcome back to Capture Q. Today's guest is Dr. Shimi Kang. Dr. Kang has a long list of accomplishments. She's a mental health, addiction, and motivation specialist. She's a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia. She's the CEO of Spark Mindset, the founder of Dolphin Kids, Future Ready Leaders, a number one best-selling author, a TEDx speaker, and a mother of three. But it doesn't end there. Dr. Kang completed medical school at the University of Alberta, where she graduated with distinction and honors in research. She gained frontline experience as a primary care physician while working in Vancouver and at a charitable hospital in rural India. Her psychiatry training was at the University of British Columbia, and she completed a clinical research fellowship at the Addiction Research Program, Massachusetts General Hospital, and Harvard University in Boston. Dr. Kang also attended Rutgers University School of Drug and Alcohol Studies in New Jersey and examined global health issues at the WHO in Geneva, Switzerland. It's a true delight to have her on to speak about all of the issues that she works tirelessly to bring to light. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. I guess we could start with your background for people who aren't familiar with you and your work. Um, you know, take us through through the uh, where'd you go to school? What do you do currently? And yeah, sure. yeah well, thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for your work that you're doing. I think that it's so important to get messages out uh, to support people, families uh, on topics of well-being, mental health and all of it, especially now. Uh, so first of all, I'm a mom of three. I have two teenage boys and an 11 year old girl. Uh, so that keeps me quite busy. Um, and my kids have neurodiversity. So my son has ADHD and dysgraphia and written output disorder. My daughter has dyslexia. So I think that all really informs, you know, my view. Um, and of course, my experiences. Uh, and professionally, I have worked mostly with young people, um, people from all walks of life, but generally my area of specialization is um, the brain under the age of 25. Uh, this is a really unique brain, um, quite different. And so I have researched um, and spent over 20 years uh, on that particular topic. Uh, so I'm a medical doctor and um, then I uh, worked, um, trained as a psychiatrist. Uh, in Canada. And then I went to Boston and Harvard Medical School and did a fellowship in addiction psychiatry. So really looking at motivation and drive and how we end up uh, doing certain things and uh, what drives motivation and behavior. Uh, and then from there, I um, created a program for young people with mental health and addiction um, that went up to the age of 24. That was a big disruption in the industry because People would think that at 18, you can have adult services, but the neurobiology doesn't support that. Uh, and then I went on um, just really advocating, trying to spread the message. I realized I had a six month waiting list and a lot of what I was saying um, could be delivered um, directly to the public. And that's what made me start writing books. Um, my first book was called The Dolphin Parent. Um, oh, and the second book is called The Tech Solution. I, I discovered you through your work with the with the dolphin parenting. Um, do you want to just briefly explain just the difference between that? You know, there's the, all the the tiger mom, but then you really go into the dolphin mom and the importance of that type of you know adult infant interaction. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So, you know, the dolphin parent is a metaphor uh, really for the science of parenting. So, you know, the book is 360 scientific references. I really reviewed everything. And I said, I needed to know, I didn't want someone's opinion. I needed to know what does the science say about raising healthy, happy, self-motivated kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we look at that, we know there's kind of three ways we can show up as a parent. We can show up as a jellyfish, uh, permissive, exhausted, overwhelmed, um, And that's me on a Friday, Um, my kids are eating junk food and playing video games, and I can be pretty jellyfish. Um, And the extreme of that, the other opposite of that would be the tiger parent or the shark parent or the helicopter parent or the snowplow, whatever metaphor is uh, the rage. And this is a controlling parent, overbearing, micromanaging, authoritarian style. Um, And we know both of those extremes really impede child's health, mental health, their happiness, their critical thinking skills, their adaptability. Um, And the the solution really is simple. It's being in the middle of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I created the metaphor of the dolphin. Uh, I say the body of the animal is firm but flexible. So this is an authoritative parenting style uh, where you're clear on your values, your commitment. Um, firm uh, in wh- where you want to lead your children, you're present uh, and uh, connected, um, but you're also flexible. So you have this ability to adapt, um, you know, to their age and their development. Um, and when you think further of the metaphor of the dolphin, um, there's community mindedness, curiosity, collaboration, uh, play, um, a sense mm-hmm. of play is a really big part of it. Um, and then downtime is the other part piece of it, which is self care, really, I like dolphins don't let their kids be sleep deprived. Um, they don't overschedule them. In fact, um, all dolphins sleep enough every day by alternating their brain hemispheres, whereas almost 70% of young children are chronically sleep deprived. And mm-hmm. um, so since it really it was just a way of saying, uh, remembering who we are as humans, Um, because in my practice, parents would be like, oh, we're too busy to sleep. And my, you know, and, and I was like, we've forgotten what it means to be human. So I use the metaphor to remind ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful. I actually have a question here about the importance of play. You you spoke about cognitive development, obviously, you know, neuroplasticity happens in adult 25, but those early years, they're obviously brain is changing so much faster. It's growing. Talk about the importance of play and why it is so important for that cognitive development those skills. Yes, play is so sophisticated. It's one of my favorite topics I have talked about in all my books. So I have my little brain here, if you can see it. Uh, Hopefully you can. Uh, So when we look at the human brain, um, there's this area, the front part is called the prefrontal cortex. This is where executive functioning happens, um, planning, strategizing, emotional intelligence as well, um, and problem solving, adaptability, um, you know, the the good stuff uh, that we need. And and I did a TEDx talk years ago uh, Mm -hmm. titled What One Skill Leads to an Awesome Life. Um, And the answer is adaptability, because if we didn't know it before, but the COVID pandemic really showed us that we need to be resilient and adaptable. So play is a direct portal um, to strengthen that area of the brain. Um, You know, when children play, uh, meaning, and I'm going to define it a little bit, uh, play is learning through trial and error. Play is you're never wrong when you're playing, right? Um, It's an exploration. So the opposite of play is perfectionism. Okay, so if we under first, we got to understand what play is. Um, And it's a mindset 
of being open to trying new and different things without worrying about mistakes. Um, and we know that in studies show there's at least, um, I think, seven, eight different types of play, depending how you categorize them. Uh, we have object play with our hands because we have 60,000 sensory neurons. Our hands are very intelligent. We have body movement play, children who wrestle and rough and tumble and fall down and get back up and dance and yoga actually have better social skills. They're less likely to bully or be bullied. They understand the push and pull of social relationships. They can fall down and get back up uh, in life. Um, you know, we know that imaginary play, very powerful, uh, building neuroplasticity, creating um, uh, the ability to think out of the box and critical thinking. So I can go on and on um, about the power of play. And I feel it is a human uh, super food. It is an activity. All animals in nature play every day, including dolphins and polar bears. Uh, and I'm really concerned about this generation because we're seeing uh, play behaviors less and less and it's being encroached upon by technology and homework and all these other things. Mm -hmm. And you bring up a good point. I do want to talk about your book, The Tech Solution. Um, but just before we touch on that, you sent out a tweet, I believe, just about the pandemic and you know, talking again about that early child development, early brain development, seeing facial expressions, and also just that social interaction community playing in the park, all of that. Um, do you maybe talk a little bit about the effect that the pandemic had the lockdowns had on that particular age group, the toddlers, right. and, you know, how we can combat, you know, the detriments from that? Right? Yes. Yeah. So we know that, um, Facial expression, eye contact, um, and just the literal act of seeing human faces is what's called neurogenesis. It, it promotes the growth of the brain. Um, it is nutrition, vital nutrition for our brain. Um, and even before the pandemic, you know, we would go, you know, and everyone can, I think, relate to this. You go to a restaurant, you see a toddler on an iPad. Um, you know, you go into an airport bathroom, you know, and a baby's being changed with a phone in their hand. Um, you know, and I get it. I, it was hard to, you know, uh, change a diaper at an airport, but I didn't have a phone back when, um, you know, my, my oldest was, so I would engage him face to face and there was mm -hmm. so much happening. Uh, and so I was really concerned about young people. And then in the last 14 months, adding wearing masks to it, I'm like, mm -hmm. um, young people, young toddlers have seen a world where people are either on their devices and wearing masks, and they're lacking this neurogenesis. And I worry um, about that long term impact, because we know it's vital for brain growth and brain development. How we can get around that is get off our phones, um, you know, and um, have them socialize more uh, and uh, really make that effort. It sounds so simple, but simple is not easy. And I see parents really struggling to do the best for their kids. Uh, but, you know, you go to a park and they're on their phones and, and, and that's the way it is. And such a simple thing can have such profound effect. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And there is, you know, all of the importance of capital for adults, you know, making sure that they are, you know, they have a good income, they have a house over, they have good food, as, as you often talk about. The idea of chronic stress in adulthood, you, you tweet a lot about it, about meditation and about being mindful. Do you want to talk a little bit about how adults can change those behaviors and, and become more in tune 
Um, aside from awareness, which is the huge one that obviously we're doing today. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I know a lot about that because as an adult, I actually got very, very sick. Um, I got burnt out uh, in my late 30s. Uh, after three pregnancies, uh, I ended up with a severe chronic pain in my body. Uh, anyway, long story short, I didn't realize I had an underlying genetic condition um, called earlostanos. So my body doesn't make collagen. And with age, you lose collagen. And I ended up having um, you know, I have uh, cysts up and down my spine and cataracts in my eyes and my joints swell up anyway. Um, but I didn't, I feel that despite all the warning signs, even I, a trained medical doctor who, you know, talks about self-care and tells this to everybody, um, didn't hear my own warning signs and didn't intervene with myself until it was really too late. Um, so anyway, my journey of recovery has made me um, far more, um, I think, uh, uh, introspective and uh, understanding about uh, how powerful the stresses of our worlds are, the pull um, to do more. And, um, you know, back in the 1990s, I was in Geneva, Switzerland at the World Health Organization on the research that declared stress the number one health epidemic of the 21st century. Um, so I feel we're a bit addicted to stress. Um, you know, stress releases a freeze, fight, or flight response. Um, it puts us into freeze, uh, which is that little blue circle on a computer, anxiety, procrastination, fight, irritability, flight, any form of mental escape. So we flight by checking our phones, going on social media, online shopping, eating, what have you. Um, again, so simple self-care mindfulness techniques, and we've all heard them. Um, and but I like to give the preamble because like they don't know that they're supposed to sleep enough or they should breathe you know, take three deep breaths before a big meeting or board meeting, or time in nature is good for you. Generally, people know this knowing is not doing. Um, but we have to get to the doing by and I believe we can do that better by understanding the science. Um, so when you breathe, people are like, how is breathing going to help my life? I'm like, well, you have receptors in the top and bottom of your lungs. And when you stretch these receptors, that signal goes to your brain that you're okay shuts down your stress response, moves you from that survival system into growth. It's that simple. But when people understand the science, then they can have confidence and say, well, okay, you know what, maybe I will actually do it. You know, I've heard it a thousand times, but I've never actually done 10 deep breaths before I went into before I go into that tough conversation. I'm actually going to try it now. Um, so I think there's many, many things we can do. Uh, they are simple, but simple is not easy. We know them, but knowing is not doing. When we get to the doing, the basics of self-care, gratitude, mindfulness, breathing, nature, social connection, exercise, now we can become, okay, um, you know, our, our better version of ourselves. This reminds me a lot, I don't have this as a question, but of just habit formation. So getting into, you know, that cue routine reward circuitry of forming new habits. And I heard a really good one of, you know, putting your running shoes right by the door. And every time you look at them, that's your cue. If you put them on every time you look at them, eventually it becomes an automated behavior. Yeah. Similar with eating well and all of that. Talk a little bit about, I guess, with food. You've, you've spoken a lot about healthy eating and obviously the importance of getting those good nutrients and and yeah, about how to create those habits and and choose good foods. 
Yeah, I mean, as a psychiatrist that really specializes in the developing brain, um, you know, I can't say enough about brain food, right? So the brain is very much I like to show things. So if you think of this electrical cord, this is how our neurons work, there's electricity um, surrounded by insulation, and that insulation is mostly fat. Um, so we need good healthy fats for brain health. Um, so that's the avocado, the walnuts, the omega threes, fish oil, or the algae oil. Um, these are vital um, to brain health. And then uh, if you look at the brain, there's what I call lakes. Um, this is a ventricle, this blue thing, it looks like a lake, but it's it's 70% water. Um, and then the matter is mostly fat. So again, but when we look at that, kids are chronically dehydrated. Um, we know there's a real problem. In fact, most adults are chronically dehydrated. We're just not simple is not easy. We're not we're not even mm -hmm. hydrating ourselves. So um, the way you know I talk about it is the same as with technology. We have to guide children towards healthy food. Um, healthy diet. Um, and then, you know, we can use the term whatever one you want, snack food, junk food, little bit is okay, um, not going to kill you chips and pizza or a little bit of video gaming or, or a little bit of social media scrolling like dessert in small quantities is a treat. And then there's really toxic stuff you want to avoid in our food categories, we don't want aspartame, we don't want our kids having um, you know, full of artificial, you know, toxins, and, and it's the same for tech. So I really combined um, the nutrition metaphor, um, to look at consumption, what are we putting in our bodies? What are we putting in our minds? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up tech, because of course, as we all know, and why we use it for social connection, for chatting with your friends, for teenagers, feeling part of something, it's a, it's a big piece. But we could talk a little bit about your book, The Tech Solution, because we do see that, you know, the kind of compulsive use of it when you're, whether it's the escapes and all of that. Yeah, talk about the book and, and kind of what you found in doing that research. Well, you know, it's so interesting, because, um, you know, there's so first of all, the book is called the tech solution, uh, the solution is to uh, guide children towards technology consumption, just like a diet. Um, so you want to uh, guide them towards uh, consuming healthy tech and healthy tech is made up of three C's. Uh, so any tech that leads to meaningful social connection, uh, uh, social status, social likes is not social bonding. So that's community building activism, you know, FaceTiming grandparents, cousins, tech that leads to creativity. So this is learning mastery, you know, make art, um, build your own uh, video game, as opposed to following someone else's, and any tech that leads to care, self care. So there's so much Fitbit, mindfulness, you can check your sleep, your steps, um, all kinds of things, teenage girls, I have them track their menstrual cycle. So there's lots of really good stuff we can do on tech, you want to guide children towards that. Um, that releases endorphin, oxytocin, do, um, and serotonin, those are the ingredients. Uh, you want to limit and avoid that junk tech, that's the dopamine, it's like the sugar. Okay, just like um, sugar, we all need sugar, small quantities, okay, so tell children that mindless scrolling, uh, which is what most young people are doing, when you ask them, what are they doing on tech, they're using it for entertainment. Um, and that's just piles and piles of dopamine and sugar, highly addictive. Uh, we know that um, uh, inter the internet is addictive. There's now something called internet addiction disorder and gaming disorder. Um, that is a medical diagnosis. I see it all the time in my practice. 
Uh, and then you want to avoid the toxic stuff, of course, the hate, the bullying, uh, but also um, where we need to have a conversation about pornography and young people. Um, and um, just even the sleep deprivation, I already mentioned the blue light exposure, mm -hmm. but even the posture is toxic. So long periods of time sitting, not moving, flexed forward, back when we were hunter gatherers, that posture of sitting here like this, our nervous system is why are you not moving looking at people? Is there a hurricane? Is there a predator? And it'll fire the stress response mm -hmm. um, just from the posture and sitting. So we really have to go deep into understanding this thing that's part of our lives. It's just like food. We can't, we can't take extreme and say, okay, my kids are not going to use it or just be jellyfish and say, well, what can we do? There's mm -hmm. junk food everywhere. We have to be that dolphin parent, firm, flexible, collaborative and guiding them towards healthy tech consumption. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. I often think about kind of the pendulum of, you know, when I grew up, my parents were marketed towards, you know, Cheerios as part of a whole breakfast and, you know, all of these foods that turned out to be not so great, but that came with the knowledge came with education. And yeah. I feel like the pendulum swung and we started eating sauerkraut and making our own bread and all of that. And I think, I hope that this younger generation with this knowledge you know, they might go back to writing in their notebook and, you know, calling each other on, you see a trend, people using analog or yeah, old flip phones and, and whatnot. Hopefully there is a, you know, there might be a pendulum shift that it would be cool. Would be wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I would say though, that it is, um, I don't think that's going to happen with a really clear intentional discussion and effort because technology is embedded with persuasive mm -hmm. design, the purposeful manipulation of dopamine, the brain's dopamine pathways um, in the service of an industry that is not, in my opinion, trying to ruin people's health and happiness, but they want to sell their products like any industry, mm -hmm. just like the food industry, and they found sugar is palatable. Um, well, on one end of the phone is an immature, underdeveloped brain, and on the other end is the most sophisticated neuroscience um, uh, uh, persuasive design to attract dopamine uh, and manipulate it. So it is an unfair re um, relationship and our children need, uh, and all of us need a lot of education support and mindfulness um, and strategies around how do we manage this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about dopamine? I know a lot of people think it's the reward chemical, um, but what I've read is that it's the motivator chemical. So you see a cue, whether it's your Instagram app, then that releases dopamine for you to pursue that, the opening of the app. And then again, the dopamine for, you know, the likes, it, it's, it's the response to a cue and the motivator versus the actual endorphin reward. Is, is that correct? Well, I would say it's both. It's both. Um, so to me, dopamine is like sugar, I say. So, um, you know, let's say you're feeling lonely um, and you check your phone and you see uh, a like by a friend or a comment. Okay. So you're like, oh, um, so what happens is you do get a little hit of dopamine, uh, which does give you a sensation of pleasure. Um, you know, it feels good. Uh, mm -hmm. And it also drives you to do that habit again. Um, so, uh, you know, and what happens is it then you get stuck in that cycle uh, of that release. Mm -hmm. uh, now, and then the other thing that happens when we check our phone is if somebody didn't like or you got a negative comment, you get cortisol, which is even a more unpleasant feeling. So then you go and look for dopamine somewhere else, um, you know, a funny meme or someone who does like you, did like you again, mm -hmm. the cycle perpetuates. 
Um, so what we want to do, so dopamine itself isn't a problem, but when, if that's the only thing, mm -hmm. uh, what we want to do uh, is guide ourselves and children towards a healthy life diet. So a little bit of sugar is okay, but you want that endorphin, serotonin, oxytocin in combination so that you can um, experience uh, health, uh, you know, endorphin is a painkiller, it is a molecule of um, peace and bliss, and who doesn't want that and mm -hmm. oxytocin is an antidepressant and serotonin maximizes our mood and confidence. So when we combine um, activities like going on social media with in that way, where it's driven and, and uh, connected to self care, creativity, or meaningful social connection. Now we have a good life diet. Um, mm -hmm. We have a good tech diet. Uh, so it's, um, it is sophisticated neuroscience. But um, if we can remember these simple activities, uh, we can use it to our advantage. Um, and we can have kids who are using technology um, and food to elevate their health, happiness and success, not detract from it and not harm it, which is what we're seeing a lot of in both areas. Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned cortisol. In times of brief stress, it can be helpful in, you know, making you cram for an exam, making you effective at getting a paper in on time. One thing though with chronic stress and the cortisol levels that, as they say, become toxic, you treat it out and I, I found this shocking. It is linked to a reduction in your immune system, muscle wasting, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, mental illness, and addiction. How is it that we, I mean, you've talked a lot about some of the solutions. How do you reduce not that, you know, the brief moments of stress, but the long term chronic stress? How can we effectively reduce those levels? Right? Okay, so I'm going to, um, I, I'm going to kind of disagree, but I agree with what <laughs> you're saying is, uh, people think that uh, a little bit of stress is healthy. Um, and so I say, actually, uh, we don't need stress unless we're being chased by a tiger, okay, or our life is threatened, then we need the stress response, and we need to either freeze, um, you know, there's someone who's uh, about to attack us, uh, we either hide and freeze, we fight or we run away. Uh, so we, we don't need stress, what we need is challenge, we want challenge, okay, so stress activates this part of the brain. Um, and only all it does is freeze, fight or flight challenge is up here. We want our whole brain exercising. It's like a great workout. So I think that's the first thing is we think that, oh, you know, our kids need a bit of stress. Otherwise, they're going to become, you know, um, teacups or whatever they want. We need to challenge them. We don't need to stress them. So big difference. Uh, and then how do we if we understand that we can get rid of chronic stress. So now we can do um, you know, and in the dolphin parent, I lay out three daily activities um, that will take us out of that stress response into our higher cortex, simple, they're play others and downtime. Um, so, you know, I say anything you wouldn't do if you're being chased by a tiger is going to move you out of that stress that to um, uh, that chronic stress or acute stress. So if you were being chased by a tiger, you would never play, you wouldn't do a cartwheel, you wouldn't do coloring. You wouldn't, um, you know, uh, uh, do a puzzle. Uh, you wouldn't play basketball. Okay, so play moves you out. If you were being chased by a tiger, you wouldn't have a conversation with a friend or tell a joke. So our connection with others takes us out of it. And if you're being chased by a tiger, you certainly wouldn't meditate. You wouldn't slow down your breathing. You would breathe shallow and fast. Um, and um, you wouldn't practice gratitude or celebrate. So 
so totally. others downtime will move us immediately from that cortisol driven um, stress response into what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, uh, play others downtime leads to that endorphin oxytocin serotonin. That's where recovery, healing, growth happens. Um, simple, not easy. I say, we know this, we're not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the harder one, right? You, you can know good food, healthy food is good for you. It's about how learning how to actually implement those in your life. But I think you make a strong point of remembering if you're not being chased by a tiger we can do these things and to act on on the knowledge um yeah. really cool stuff um one last question you you spoke a little bit about cyberbullying in those young years it is really important obviously to have a positive social environment and, and a group that you feel connected to something i think about often and, and the thing that i have gratitude over is I was very fortunate to have a lot of good friends in elementary school and high school. And I feel like because that happened in those early years, I now really, I love meeting new people. I, I feel, you know, positive about social connections for the people who don't get that because they're bullied. Am I, am I correct that that leads to kind of a, a lifelong perception on people and how do we prevent children from feeling isolated or bullied. Right. Or... Yeah. Such a good question, Tracy. And, and so um, I love how you bring your own story into it because it makes me uh, want to explain this really important neuroscience concept, which is neurons that fire together, wire together. Um, so mm -hmm. it's a really important rhyme. Uh, and so, you know, when you were younger, you fired and wired um, friendships and social connections with positivity. You know, you got some dopamine because it was fun. You got some endorphin because it was trusting and oxytocin and, and, you know, you played and you fired and wired social relationships with the good stuff in life, right? That, that parasympathetic, that growth nervous system. Uh, when you've experienced bullying and now um, very important, I think the latest study I saw almost 80% of young people are saying they've experienced some form Form of bullying on online, mm -hmm. especially during the pandemic, um, cyberbullying rates went up 800% uh, with the highest, um, what we saw was anti-Asian, anti-Black, anti-women, mm -hmm. anti-Indigenous, anti-LG, all of the hate increased. Um, and so this is a reality. And now what's happening is young people are firing and wiring social relationships with cortisol, adrenaline, stress. Um, and that is really profound. We knew it was bullying was an issue um, before technology. Um, now with that, and given those stats, um, now we are seeing an increase of this stress response where you know, I work, I do keynote speaking at workplaces. Um, and if you look at a work environment, when I explain freeze, fight or flight, you're either cycling through anxiety, irritability or distraction. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, my God, that's like everyone and everyone around me are either anxious, irritable or distracted. <laughs> um, so I, I don't um, say this lightly, but, you know, uh, I believe the biggest existential threat we are facing is the health and well-being of this current generation. Um, with rising rates of anxiety, depression, addiction, disconnection, perfectionism. Um, and if we don't get this right, get this course right, we won't have the minds and brains and bodies um, to solve uh, bigger issues and very important issues like climate change and food shortages. So, mm -hmm. so it's really all depending on how we support help and try to change that trajectory 
thankfully it's never too late. The brain has neuroplasticity. If you're like, Oh my God, my kids are addicted to their video games or sugar. Don't worry. It's never too late. We can always change our habits till the moment we die. That's the beauty of the human brain um, and the human mind. So uh, I really am so grateful to get these messages out. It's really cool stuff. I'm, I'm fascinated by what you do. It's very, very fun. You know, I, what I believe neuroscience is very powerful, but very simple. If we can give it to people, they, mm-hmm. they need something to, you know, they, they, we do need to convince people to do this stuff. So I hope yeah. that's the way to do it. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time and I know you're so busy and, and people are yeah, really needing your help. So I was going to um, end with another rhyme uh, where focus goes, neurons grow. So that's the other one. So, you know, we, it, despite awesome. all of the stresses in our world, we got to keep that focus. And to me, neuroplasticity is a wonderful thing to focus on. We can always grow and learn and change. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay.